Hallelujah. How many are thankful he's good all the time? Amen. A couple of things I want to say. This coming, some, coming Wednesday, I believe, is Veterans Day. And I want to take just a moment to honor and thank God for any veteran that is in this house. Would you turn the lights up? Wait just a second. Hold on. Hold on. Just sorry. Turn the lights up. If you're a veteran and you have served in some branch of our military and you're in this room today, would you be so kind to lift your hand so we could say thank God for you? Come on, they're all over this room. Somebody help me thank God for the land of the free and the home of the brave. Amen. We honor each of you. We thank God for your contribution and your investment into the story and the life of America. We wouldn't even be free had it not been for God raising up brave and courageous men and women who have served in our military and some branch of our military. And today we're very thankful for that. We're thankful for that here, and we're also thankful for every one of our veterans in Athens. And while we're at it, can we just say good morning to Athens? Come on. It's so good to have Athens with us this morning. Pastor Chris and Amy and Ingrid, we love you, and, and thank God for what he's doing for you. And Pastor Devin, it's just a, it's a celebration in Athens. We thank God for all of his faithfulness. We're really grateful for what the Lord is doing. Um, I just want you to know in my spirit, I... I, I don't have a picture of my foot on the brake. I have a picture of my foot on the gas. And, and I just want you to know, coming out of 2020 and going into 2021, I really believe the Lord has given us a download, a vision for the future. And it's not holding on and just sitting in a huddle till Jesus comes. I really believe it's time to put the foot on the gas and it's time to advance. the. I wish I had a, one or two witnesses in this room. It's just time to put your foot on the gas and go somewhere. Come on, we talked about stuff long enough. It's time to take some cities. I feel like there's some expansion in our future. I feel like there's some increase for every person and for the ministry of this house. And I'm feeling really good about 2021. And I say that to the glory of God because I feel like God is just giving us a real understanding of, of, uh, of what, where we are in the kingdom of God. And, and I'm grateful for that. I want to say also we are missing Pastor Jojo, right? We're missing Pastor Jojo, but I want you to know that either tonight or tomorrow, we're going to have um, baby Shoemate here. She's going, yes, baby Shoemate is on the way, and uh, we're very excited about that, and we're praying. I, I said all that because I want you to pray for Pastor Jojo. She is uh, beyond ready to have the children. And... Uh, I told her I think there are triplets in there, but she said there's only one heartbeat. I said, well, let's just see. Amen. Uh, we'll see. She didn't exactly receive that prophecy when I said it. So we love you, Pastor JoJo, and all the babies that are at home. We're praying for the Shoemate family. And by this time tomorrow, we're celebrating in advance a healthy baby and a healthy mama. Amen? Amen. So we're going to pray for her. I want you to take your Bible. Um, most of you know that when I bring a chair up on stage, it's for one of two reasons. I'm either crippled and I can't walk, or I'm trying to tell myself, you're going to talk today and not preach. We'll see how well that works out, okay? But I want you to go to John chapter 1. I want you to go to John chapter 1, and everyone's standing for the word that's physically able. Um, I, I don't know so much today that this is a sermon. I, I, I know I say that sometimes. I, I think we need to have a talk. I think we need to have a talk. And I almost called this 
the state of the church address because um, I'm not just talking about our church or to our church. I hope you all recognize that every single week God has blessed us with the, um, the opportunity to speak into lives and to leaders' lives and to other churches, and, and I take that very seriously. And I woke up this morning, as I did yesterday morning and do most every morning, uh, cognizant and aware of the fact that there are a lot of people in the world today um, who are looking for answers and have questions, and I don't even mean about our election. I mean about life, and I mean about spiritual things. And I'm going to summarize where I am with this whole process of election in about three sentences, but I didn't come today to preach on it because I'm over it already. Personally, I'm over it already. I, I, I want to keep us focused on the kingdom of God. And I know some of you wanted me to come today to give you a prophetic download of the next three weeks. I don't have one. I'm going to tell you right now, you better pray. And if you never prayed for your nation, you better start praying for your nation right now. And if you never prayed for your leaders, you better start praying for them right now. Jeremiah 27 verse 9, 29 verse 7, pardon me. We always quote Jeremiah 29 11. I know the thoughts I have for you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and life. It's a great scripture, right? Two verses before that, God says this to the people of Israel. I'm getting ready to put you in another foreign land. It's not Israel. It's not home. I'm going to put you in that land, and I want you to pray for its peace and prosperity. Because as the nation that I put you in prospers, so will you prosper. And while you're there, I want you to have children and multiply, build houses, plant seed, grow vineyards, and eat the fruit of it. Because you're going to be there for a while. But while you're there, I'm still God, and you're still my people. And I want everyone in this room to hear me. This is my political whatever you want to say for, for, for this Sunday, and then we're going to preach on something else. I want you to understand right now, this place is not home. So everybody really passionate about it, I get it. We're going to be here for a little while. But I want you to remind you that this world is not our home. And this nation, although I love it and I want it to prosper and be blessed and I want it to have great leaders because I want the leaders to, to enact proper laws, I pray for that to happen. I just want you to know my hope is not tied to America. My hope is tied to Jesus. And I say that and some people don't understand the difference. And one of the, mo one of the things we're dealing with this moment we are dealing with how close our heart is to our nation and how far away it is from our kingdom. A lot of people's hearts are connected to their nation in passionate ways, and if we'd get as passionate about the kingdom as we did for our nation, we'd see a whole lot of people saved in the next 12 months. I know some of y'all don't like this. I get it. I know some of y'all don't like this because America and, and, and this race, everything about your hope was tied to it. I want you to know I am concerned, but the Spirit of God said to me at 6 a.m., 7 a.m. this morning, I woke up an hour later than usual. He said to me, don't panic. Someone needs to hear that today. Don't panic. Your king is still on the throne. That's all I'm going to say. So I want you to go to John, John chapter 12. That's all I'm going to say. 
I, I just advise, I heavily encourage everyone, take a social media break. Please. I mean, the stuff that I'm seeing right now, we have people, we have people that are I, literally, if they were in the same room, they'd be throwing, they'd be throwing haymakers at each other. This is, and I'm talking about Christians. <laughs> no, let me back, I'm talking about bishops. This is not how the kingdom of God operates. And I'm, I just want us to keep our eyes on him today. And as some people don't know whether to say amen or leave or whatever, I just want you to understand if, 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 an, if an extreme one way or the other is what you're looking for, you're probably going to be real disappointed with me. Because I'm going to preach the kingdom of God. And he's God when the, when the red wave is in, and he's God when the blue wave is in. And I'm, I'm just telling you right now, the Lord reminded me this past week walking through Disney World, the greatest revival we've ever had in our church happened when we had a democratic president. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm telling you exactly what I just said. The greatest revival we ever had. Have, what, are you saying we need it? I'm just telling you the greatest revival we ever had did not answer to Washington. It, it was because God said it's time for revival. And I just believe that that's what's next for the people of God. True awakening and revival. So I'm going to pray for whoever is president now and in the future for the rest of my life like I prayed for every president in my past because it's what the Bible says to do. Amen. John chapter 12. Verse number 12, when you have it, say amen. On the, deck, on the next day, many people came to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. They took branches of palm trees and went before him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king that comes in the name of the Lord, verse 14. And Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat thereon, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king comes sitting on a donkey's coat, these things understood not his disciples at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered the things that were written of him and that they had done these things unto him. The people, therefore, that was with him when he called Lazarus out of his grave and raised him from the dead, they bore record. For this cause, the people also met him for that they heard what had been done in this miracle. Verse 19, the Pharisees therefore said among themselves, do you perceive how you prevail nothing? In other words, you're not winning in your battle against Jesus. The whole world has gone after him. The whole world, said the Pharisees and the religious leaders, have gone after Jesus. Next verse. And there were certain Greeks, say Greeks, there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, which was a Bethsaida of Galilee. And they desired him saying, sirs, we want to see Jesus. We wish to see 
Jesus. Next verse. Verse 22, Philip came and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip came to tell Jesus. And Jesus answered them saying, the, watch this, the hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. I want to talk about that hour. Because we're living in an hour where there's a whole lot of people saying a whole lot of stuff about the hour we're living in. I just believe it's an hour for the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, to be glorified. And I want us to be busy engaging this moment and this hour that we're living in as people of God who are hungrier for Jesus than we are for anything else on this planet. If that's your heart, say amen. Father, I pray for the next few moments you'll give me the grace and the ability just to preach to a people who are full of prophetic promises. I thank you for their families and their lives. And you even created them to live in this day that we're living in right now, Lord God. You, you created them on purpose for such a time like the one that we're living in. And I bless them to engage the role that you've called them to play and that they, they and we will not miss our assignment. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I pray. And everyone said amen. To be seated in the presence of the Lord. One of the things that I have been most reminded of in the last several days and weeks is the sovereignty of God. That God answers to no one. He is immutable. And immutability means that he is God by himself and doesn't need anyone's help to be God. Essentially, that's what it means to be immutable. That there is no one like him, no one beside him. This is, this is a fact of Scripture that God did not become God when we showed up to call him God. He was God before we were ever created. He was God before anybody acknowledged him as God. He didn't need us to acknowledge him as God to be God. He is God. Sovereign, omnipotent, in total and complete control who has already declared, as we've said a number of times from this pulpit, God has already declared the end because he is the end from the beginning because he is the beginning. He does not get informed. He does not wake up one day and turn on the news and catch the latest headline. He knows what's happening before it happens. And I think it's really important to be reminded of the sovereignty of God in this moment that God really knows everything. I will also tell you that God in his sovereignty tied himself to human cooperation on earth. He is sovereign and can do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it, how he wants to do it, just like he wants to do it. But I also believe that God looks throughout the earth for partners who have an agenda in their heart to see his agenda accomplished on the earth, and we become companions and partners, as it were, with sovereign God so that we can see happening on the earth what God has desired to happen in his heart. It's going to happen. 
He's always going to fulfill his promises and his purposes, but he invites us human beings into the process to partner with him in the advancing of his agenda in the earth. And you and I have decisions to make about this. We have to decide, are we going to live and operate out of our own agenda? Are we going to live and operate and manifest our own purposes? Are we going to say to ourselves, our life is not our own. We are really here to partner with God and to see what it is that Abba wants to do in the earth. I am a love slave. I'm a bond servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. My life is not my own, so according to... To Matthew chapter 6, I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else that I need in life gets added to me. And I am recognizing more and more the older I get that days are precious and moments are significant and opportunities of a lifetime, as Leonard Ravenhill said, must be seized in the lifetime of that opportunity. And when God opens a door of opportunity for us to partner with him, the greatest thing we can do in our life is say yes to Jesus. Yes to his purpose, yes to his will, yes to his ways. And, and this text before us today, this text before us today is about not just a general season. It's not just about a, a moment. It's not, ju- it's not just about a, a general time. Th- there is something about this as I looked at this even in the Greek that was happening in this very hour Jesus was talking about. He said the hour has come. It wasn't a general season. It wasn't, a, it wasn't just a general time. It wasn't just a, 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 a general statement about a, a moment in a generation. It was, it was literally that the steps of the Lord had been ordered in such a way that it brought him to this hour. It brought him to this moment because you understand and I understand as we look at the word of God in the New Testament specifically in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are primarily two different ways we understand time in Scripture. I've taught this before. Let me take three minutes to teach it to you again. There, there is the idea of chronos time, the, the, the chronos time, C-H-R-O-N-O-S. It's where we get our word chronology, uh-huh, and, and that is the ticking away of moments. It is the expiration of seconds. It is the given expiration of calendar time. And there is certainly that application of understanding time in the New Testament. But there is this other word used for time that is that is uh, that is has nothing to do with with chronos time it is called kairos time and kairos is different from chronos in this chronos is just the ticking away of moments and the expiration of seconds and the flipping of days on a calendar but kairos is not like chronos kairos is more like an appointment it's like a strategic designated moment in time where God gets involved in his divinity with our chronology. Have you ever been going through life and the seconds expire and the minutes expire and the hours expire and the days expire and you wonder is there anything more to this life 
than what I'm living in right now, clocking in, clocking out, living a day-to-day job, going through Monday and fr- Monday through Friday, working the job. Saturday, and we're gonna have we're gonna have a break. Sunday, we're gonna go to church, and it's like the monotony of chronology can just sneak up on us to where we are seeing our life pass and wonder, are we doing anything with these moments that are expiring? And then God takes his finger and puts it from eternity into our chronos moments on a particular time and says, that's not just an expiring second. That is a moment in time where I I have an appointment with my people. That's Kairos. I believe what we're living in right now is not just chronos time. I believe we're living in some Kairos moments where the spirit of the living God is getting ready to interrupt the cycle and the routine of our chronology and he's going to invade it with moments that are pregnant with eternal purpose and power. And it happened here in the Gospel of St. John, the 12th chapter. Jesus understands what's getting ready to happen, but hardly anyone else does. The only people who really knew what was fixing to happen was Jesus himself and the Pharisees and religious people who were planning his murder. And what I find amazing about this moment, this hour that has come, is that Jesus wanted his followers to understand the moment that they were living in as well. Because there's nothing more frightening than people who walk with Jesus who don't understand the moment that they're living in. He said the hour has come and he had been talking to them about this coming hour. He had told them, tear this temple down in three, way, three days I'll build it up again. Remember that? He told them, he told them a number of times, I'm going to depart from you, but I'm going to come back and we'll take care of everything. And they start scratching their head. They're like, we don't know what he's talking about. Because oftentimes moments come and if we're not careful and walking in Real discernment will miss the moment that God is trying to present to us. Heaven is trying to invade earth at a particular time in a sovereign way. And God is saying, will you partner with me in this sovereign moment? I've got an agenda. I've got a plan. I've got something I've got to get accomplished. But I need my people to get on the right page. And my concern for the body of Christ today is that people are flipping through the book of their life and they're singing off their own page. And they think it's about their solo and they think it's about how well they sound they think about it's how how good do I look and we're going to miss a moment if we're not careful this moment to me I, I know some of you don't like to hear this this moment to me is far more about what heaven is trying to release than what we get in a president in the next few weeks or the last whatever I just want you to know that God is on the throne that God is the one that has the plan and that God is the one that is looking for partners on earth that will see his plan and purpose come to pass. And I think it's high time and more important for us to preach the kingdom than a party. And what God is looking for in John chapter 12 is someone that would understand the hour that he's living in. And here's what I want you to hear me see. I want you to hear me say. 
the people who came to Jesus, the moment that Christ said this is the hour, that moment was created not by the hunger of a religious crowd. It was the hunger of the Greek Gentiles. Because I'm not sure in this moment many people in the church are as hungry for God as they should be. Have you seen what I've seen? In fact, I saw so much of it I had to quit seeing it. It's disheartening. The hate and the vitriol, the division and the disunity, if you're participating that, I love you enough to rebuke you in Jesus' name. You and I do not have the privilege of representing our Father and His kingdom in a way that feeds the hate that is in this evil world. By this shall men know you are my disciples. That you speak in tongues and prophesy and fall out. And... No, that ain't what the book says. By this shall men know you are my disciples. That you shall love one to the other. We have an opportunity in this moment to live on a different kind of level, operate from a different kind of perspective, and share a different kind of word than, than other people on this planet. And my fear is that when the hour comes, will the Lord find participation from his people in a way that advances his agenda in our generation? I'm going to say it like this. I don't want to drop the ball. Anybody watch Tennessee last night? I hope not. What a tragedy. We have one job in this moment. To hear the heart of the Father and to execute his plan. And in order for his plan and his heart to be demonstrated and executed somewhere, sometime, somebody's got to humble themselves and say, this ain't about my plan and my priority. This is about the heart of the Father. Because if we miss it in this hour, then we run the risk of our generation not experiencing all that heaven has to demonstrate in the day we're living in. I understand that preaching a message like this that I feel is a, a message about the kingdom ticks off people who have other agendas. So perhaps you thought I would prance to the pulpit today and preach on something that would feed your narrative or would feed the other narrative. I want to inform both sides. I have no narrative to feed. I have a king to please and his agenda to accomplish and my life is short and I'm not going to spend I'm not going to spend every four years a season of my life trying to talk people into getting along. 
The Lord spoke to me last week. He said, Kevin, some of y'all can't handle this one either. It's okay. If I'm going to tick somebody off, I might as well tick everybody off today. He said to me, Kevin, why do you wait until election time to have conversations? Because the kingdom message gets lost in parties and who we're voting for. You can't even talk about life without inflaming Christian people. I'm going to. You can't even talk about a culture of life without ticking off a bunch of people. You talk about abortion all the time. You're being political. I'm talking about abortion because I am a Christian and souls matter to God. Sit down. Sit down. Sit down. Sit down. I'm mad now. You only talk about racism at election. I'm talking about racism because hate will send you to hell. And slavery is a scourge on our history. And we need it to get under the blood. Wounds need to get healed. And we need to move forward as a people. A house divided against itself will not stand. I believe in life in the belly and life in the boulevards. And I've lost people over the years. This ain't going to be a good TV sermon, by the way. I've lost people. We've lost families over the years because I'm not right enough or left enough. You know what I am? I'm his. And at the end of the day, I will not stand before you or the Republican or Democratic Party of your county. I'll stand before a thrice holy God who will look at my record and either say, well done, son, or depart from me. You never knew me. And I'm not going to prance around and lay hands on people who get healed and one day hear the words, I never knew you. I'm going to know him. You may not like it. And I don't really, I want to know him. I want to know the Lord. I want to walk with his hand in mine. I want him to be my father and I want to be his son. I'm not trying to please people. I want to hear, well done, son, you did it. They didn't like it, but you did it. You did it from glory. So I'm not waiting. I'll let you know right now. I'm not waiting till the next election cycle. I've already been on the phone with preachers. We're going to have a talk. We're going to have a talk without the presence of an inflammatory election. What are we going to talk about? The kingdom. Because I'm sick of everybody. Do you understand that no party will win a seat without the input and influence of the church? I think what needs to start happening is they need to figure out how we feel about it before they start talking about their platforms. Because there's enough of us on planet Earth to shift elections and shift the future if we'll just get on the same kingdom page. I'm going to do what I said. Stay out of it. In this text before us, the hour has come. How do we know the hour? How did Jesus know the hour had come? What about this moment? Let him know the hour has come. You ready for this? Here's what let him know. 
the Gentiles came hungry for him. Had it been left up to religious people, they'd have missed the moment that was fixing to happen. But the hungry came. And it wasn't the pious and the holy and the religious that came hungry. It was the Greeks. I'm getting ready to preach right here. Try to get me some water. The Gentiles came hungry. The religious people were plotting his murder. And the Gentiles came hungry. The church folk and the religious crowd were trying to get rid of him. And the hungry were trying to find him. And this is what told him that his hour had come to be glorified. It was the hunger of the Gentiles. Here's what I want to tell you. I want everybody in the church to be hungry for God. I want everybody in the church to want to see Jesus. But if you don't, there are enough hungry people outside this building today looking for God in all the wrong places. They're about to come saying, where's Jesus? I came to find Jesus. Some of us don't come to church because we want to see Jesus. Some of us don't come to church because we're hungry for him. Don't fool yourself. I'm not mad that any, I'm glad everybody's here. And aren't you thankful for the crowd? It just keeps growing. Amen. This is fantastic. I'm thankful for that. But I want you to know right now, I am no more convinced that every person in this room is hungry for God. If you really are hungry for God, it is an insatiable hunger. It is a, it is a spiritual hunger. It cannot be satisfied with things. It cannot be satisfied with the mere passing of time. Objects and trinkets and gifts and cars and houses and new stuff is wonderful but when you get it, it, it does it does it is it me or anyone else in here understand this that as new and wonderful as it is over time it wears off I don't care how much you like it and how much it blessed you and how many miles you put on it and how luxurious it may be at the end of the day every new thing that we enjoy fades in feeding us some satisfaction but there is one there is one who is like the mercy it is like flowing mercy it is like the rising of every new every new day it is like the sun rising on every new morning a relationship with Jesus is not like a gift you get that you get kind of wore out with. No, this is something that, that is fresh and it feeds your soul and the world is looking for it because they have tried lines of cocaine and smoked reefer and they've drunk themselves into oblivion and they slept with everything looking for some satisfaction and they cannot find it and they're about to come to the house of God and they're going to say, they're not coming to say, 
Where's your bells and whistles? Where's your smoke machine? Where's your new, where's your new LED screen? Where are your lights? No, they're not coming for that. They found that before and it left them empty. What they're coming to church for is a man from Galilee who came in the fullness of time, who was born of a virgin womb, who walked in the power of the Holy Ghost, who looked death, hell, and the grave in the eye, said, take me now, but three days later, I'll be back because I'm Alpha and Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I didn't come today for religion. I didn't come today to see just see somebody. I came today because I heard the Lord was here. I came today because I want to see Jesus. Anybody want to see Jesus? And the religious crowd may not be fed up with religion, but the world is. And what they want to see, they came. The Greeks came. This is fascinating to me. The Greeks came to a Jewish festival. The Gentiles, that's what Greeks means, the Gentiles. And you understand primarily in the New Covenant, in the, in the, in the New Testament, and even in the Old Testament for that matter, the Gentiles were like the, the alien outsiders. This is why I get tickled with all of the race baiting. Is that a black church or a white church? It's a Gentile church. That's what this is. You understand that? And there may be a few messianic Jewish brothers and sisters here. I'm grateful they're here. But by and large, this house is a Gentile house. <laughs> you say that. I'm watching a fence rise up in people right now. How dare him? Read the Bible. We're Gentiles. We were aliens to the commonwealth of Israel. We were not allowed in, not because of the color of our skin, but because we were not born through the right family. We were all, every one of us, rich, poor, black, white, brown, caramel, whatever you want to say. We're Gentiles. What does it matter? Because the devil seeks to exploit our differences when in reality the only difference that existed in the Bible was Jew and Gentile. Not even male or female. We don't have time for that. And here come the Gentiles. How much longer are you going to go? A while. Here come the Gentiles. The Gentiles are coming. And, and here's the thing. They come to the temple at the Passover celebration. What does that mean? Nothing except the temple is set up in a way that Gentiles don't get to get close to the glory. That's why in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, they had an outer court. It was literally in one place in Scripture called the court of the Gentiles. What does that mean? It means that if you weren't Jewish, you could come up to the presence of God, but you couldn't get into it because your Gentile uh, lineage prevented you from accessing what they considered to be a Jewish God. But the Jewish people, although they were the primary and initial 
target for the Messiah were not the only target. He came first for the Jew, but not only. Y'all not following me. He came first for the Jew, not only for the Jew. His first stop was to his own house. And there the Bible says in the book of John, the 12th chapter, the last few verses says that many Jewish leaders followed him privately but did not do it publicly for fear that they would be ejected and released from the house of Israel. But they, they put faith in Christ because why, why? Because they seen his works and they heard his words and even the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders said, there's something about this man, Jesus Gentile, by and large, could not get there. And yet they came to the feast, and they're out on the third court of the temple, and they're saying, we want to see Jesus. Well, wait a minute. How do you know about Jesus? Because we heard about Lazarus. Read the Bible. This is not me making this up. This is not anecdotal narration. This is text. They came looking for Jesus because they heard about what happened to Lazarus. What happened to Lazarus? I'm glad you asked. Remember him? Dead four days? Put, a put him in a tomb and put a put wrapped him up in grave clothes and put a stone in place. And Jesus walks up and said, I didn't call for this funeral. I told you he wasn't dead, so you put the grave clothes on, of him, on him. Jokers, you can take it off of him. He is the only one, come on in here, that can call a dead man out of a grave. Aren't you thankful he's still calling Lazarus out of the tomb? But I want to tell you right now that the religious crowd that put the grave clothes on are going to have to take them off in this generation. God's going to raise up some sons and daughters who are tired of being bound up and the Lord's not going to deliver them. The dry hides that didn't believe they could be saved and be resurrected are the very ones that are going to have to unwrap the sons and daughters when the Lord calls them out. I feel like preaching right here. Well, how... Well, we don't know about Lazarus coming out. He had a real bad past. He stinks by now. Listen, if your family says you stink, you stink. But I stunk too. I don't stink today. Why? Because a man named Jesus has a glory that is greater than all of my past. I want to how good is God? I'm not even preaching about Lazarus. I'm trying not to preach about Lazarus right now because I could take off and preach about Lazarus because in chapter 11, he's in a tomb. In chapter 12, verse 2, he's sitting at a table. There's only one God that can take you from a tomb and put you at a table. Y'all not helping nobody preach. I want to find some people in this room today who can, who, who can testify that God can take you out of a tomb and one chapter later, it ain't 96 steps. It ain't 13 steps. 
steps, it's one step. One step out of the tomb into the glory of God and God can put you at a table. I believe I read a scripture in Psalm 23. He prepares a table before me in the prayer. I feel happy in my sanctified soul. Has anybody ever been brought out of a tomb and today you're sitting at a table with the Lord? You ought to praise him. Lord, I feel a breakthrough. I said you ought to praise him. You ought to praise him that no matter how dark your tomb is, there's a table with a reservation with your name on it. If the devil tried to tell you it's too late, I came to tell you the devil is a liar. God ain't through with you yet. You're coming out of the tomb into the table. And the Gentiles heard about a man named Lazarus. And they came to Philip. Very interesting here. They came to Philip. And the reason they come to Philip is because Philip is a Greek name and more than likely had Gentile influence in his life. And most theologians believe that he actually spoke the language that these Greek people who came looking for Jesus was speaking. They came to him because he could interpret what they were saying and relay the message. Jesus, help me teach right here. And there's a reason why some people don't want to come tell other church people that they're looking for Jesus because they're afraid of how they interpret their request. Because you go to some churches looking for Jesus and you'll find a whole lot of something you don't want. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Sometimes you go into some church. Has anybody ever been to church looking for Jesus and found something you had to, you had to quickly leave so you didn't get some of it? Y'all don't have to say Amen. I found out that there are some places called churches that are more interested in their culture than they are giving Jesus out. We're more interested in self-preservation than we are giving people Jesus. We're more, there's a reason why people have stopped coming to church and it's not because they're not looking for the Lord. It's because they went looking for the Lord in the church but he wasn't there. I'm running away from that. I felt that over there. I'm coming over here again. I felt that. I'm just kidding. There's a reason why some people come to church and don't go back. It's because they came looking for Jesus and they got politics. They came looking for Jesus and they got foolishness. They came looking for Jesus and they got bells and whistles and they got, they got Sister Yay Yay and Brother Flip Flop, but they couldn't find Jesus. And when you come looking for Jesus and don't get Jesus, then you leave thinking, I wonder if he's real. Everybody in this room and everybody watching me online right now need to tell you, if you went looking for Jesus and all you got was religion, you don't need to become disillusioned thinking that Jesus isn't real. Because although he may not be living in every church, there are some places with some people who know him and they know his power. And you just got to get connected with the right people who've met the man. Can you give me Jesus? 
And it's interesting to me, they go to Philip. Philip understood their language. He knew what they were saying. We often criticize the Philips of the church. And you're just mad because you're not a Philip. You're mad that the world don't like you. They like Philip. Why didn't the world go to Andrew or Peter? Why Philip? Because Philip could connect with people who did not know Jesus, but were looking for him. I don't know if Clark is here today. Clark Lusk. Clark Lusk. He's my friend and my family. It's a weird relationship, but we love him. Clark Lutz was raised, and I won't say a denomination name because it doesn't matter, but Clark was raised in a denomination very, very different than ours. You know, if, if this is your first time here, and you're like, why are all these people going crazy? Because that's what we do. We go crazy for the Lord. Well, I ain't never seen it like this. Well, that's why we're glad you came. You need to be introduced to this. Hallelujah. But Clark was raised in a denomination where they didn't even have instruments. Nobody said nothing. Everybody sat there. So when Clark came for the first time to our church, Clark thought I was cray-cray. You understand? Like, why is that dude doing that? And what language is he talking in? And what are all these people twirling and painting stuff and falling out? And what is all this about? And you know when Clark and I got connected for real? You ready for this? It wasn't in an altar with the power of God falling out. It was at a Tennessee football game. Y'all can't handle this. I told you, you don't like Phillips. You want everybody to walk up, receive. Some of these people are freaked out by what they have seen. Philip has a way of knowing it's real. I didn't even plan on saying all this, but somebody needs this today. Philip has a way of knowing it is real, but not frightening people off while they're on their way to it. They trusted Philip to take him to Jesus. And oftentimes religious people criticize the Philips in the church because, because the lost go to Philip they trust that he will properly interpret their request. Now, I think right now y'all know I ain't ashamed of nothing the Lord will do in the church. I told you my whole life, my 15-year-old self, taking my friends from high school to church, begging God on the way, Father, this is for real. I got friends, and tonight it cannot get crazy, okay? I'm going to need you to let this be a real sublime, chilled, you know, Vesper service. Y'all Methodists know what that is. Just, and it didn't matter how hard I prayed. Every time I brought a, a guest to church, Sister Yay Yay. Y'all know I told these stories before. Sister Pat was in my church. Her hair went down to the ground. Why? Because we didn't believe in cutting hair back where I came from. And look, she, got, she was so gifted musically. She, this is a true story. She would put her foot on a tambourine, shake maracas with her left hand, shake another tambourine with her right hand and had a head harmonica holder and started playing the harmonica. And when she got so blessed, her hair fell in her face and it looked like Cousin It playing a harmonica. That's a true story. That's how I was raised. 
And one night, I'm going to tell the whole story. One night, we were having a foot washing service. Women on the right, men on the left. The sisters were washing Sister Pat's feet. And her teeth fell out in the foot washing bowl. And the women started cackling and screaming, thinking it was hilarious. The men thought it was the Holy Ghost, and we went into a three-night revival. That's a true story. That's a true story. And sometimes we think everybody understands our way we do church. But there are some people in this room tonight, this morning, who understand the power of God and are not ashamed of it, but they have a fill of grace on their life and can connect people who are hurting and hungry and looking for Jesus. I just want to let everybody know we need Philip, we need Andrew, we need Peter, we need Jesus, we need everybody, all hands on deck, all the influence you have, use it to take people to Jesus. I recognize that my style, and I'm, this is not a style. This is just who I am because you got to understand, I wake up every Sunday morning and I'm going to be like, today I'm going to be like Joel Osteen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. God has a plan for your life. I, I, every morning I say, I'm going to tell I'm, I'm not, not going to sweat. This is just me. This is not a style. This is who I am. And when, I'm, when I close my eyes and try to be something else, it ain't right. This is just who I am. You understand? I recognize that how I am and who I am attracts a demographic of believers who many of us were raised in Pentecostal church. Some of us weren't, but many of us were raised in Pentecostal church, and we have an affinity for that kind of thing. There are multitudes of Gentiles who've never experienced the power of God in that way. They don't know what revival is. They don't know what awakening is. They don't know what, why, why do people fall in the floor? Why do people speak in tongues? What, what we want to say. I need some Phillips in the house who can say, just hang on, Jesus is in here. You got some questions you don't have answers to, just stay around the fire. Jesus is in here. I need some people in here who understand that Phillips have a way of bridging the secular world with the spiritual world. That, that, come on, because this Holy Spirit I'm talking about is not just needed in the church there are some businesses and big high-rises downtown that have CEOs and leaders who need the Holy Ghost I need some people who like Philip can say hang on you want to know where Jesus is I'm about to connect you with the man I'm about to hook you up with Jesus the world is looking for him they're looking for him I'm done Bron come help me the hour has come. The hour's come. How did he know the hour had come? Because the Gentiles were looking for him. The hour's come for us in America. It's not a general time. It's a Cairo-specific moment. There will never be peace so long as your king is voted on every four years. I feel the Lord. There'll never be king. There'll never be. Do you know the greatest peace I've had all week? Do you know where it came from? Being with him. 
when I tell you I had like a bunch of stuff I was going to say, I can take you over and show you my notes on my, on my desk. About 7 o'clock this morning, I just wadded it all up. Because I'm not going to talk about an election. It may give you the idea that unless it goes one way or the other, maybe our future is not so secure. I want you to hear me say something. God is still on the throne. Oh, we heard that all week. No, hear me tell you, God is still on the throne. Everything that can be shaken is being shaken. We lose in the middle of all this craziness going on in our political landscape. We lose the, the fact that the enemy is trying to target leaders in the kingdom. I'm, I'm pleading with you to pray for your pastors. Pastor, there's something going on you need to tell us. No, 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 there's not something going on that I need to tell you except that everything that can be shaken is being shaken. In the place I'm in in my life at this juncture in my journey, there's places that God has opened doors for us to serve as overseers or, you know, voices of wisdom to speak into the lives of younger pastors. And then from my own chair, I sit and watch senior leaders who painfully are in seasons of transition and losing things because of the place and the, the situations that they're dealing with and they've been targeted and some of them fallen, fallen deeply. Why are you saying all this? What's it going to take for the church to get hungry for Jesus? this past week, another tremendous leader confessed out of his own mouth, I've been preaching from an empty place, ministering from an empty place, and it caught up with me. Now, you may read that and say, he got what he deserved. I'll read that and go weep, not because God won't restore him and use him again. Because he will. He's a good God. We just don't have time to miss the hour. I'm praying for America because my babies are going to raise babies that raise babies in America, the Lord tells I don't want them to inherit a witch-infested nation led by a bunch of cults 
Now, y'all think I'm crazy. Mark my words down. I'll be dead and gone. But if America don't have revival, you think, you think our problem is a presidential candidate. You let witches and warlocks start taking over seats of authority. You say, that can never happen. Read 1 Kings. A witch named Jezebel married a spineless leader named Ahab and took a whole nation to hell. I don't have time to play games. Can you just chill out? I tried chilling out. God won't let me. Oh, you got to be so intense all the time because we murdered 60 million babies. There's injustice in our streets. There's hate in the pulpit. We need to see Jesus. Malice in our heart when we find somebody didn't vote like us. You may not understand why they did that. But I challenge you to love them. Pray for them. Because if the house of God is divided, the nation has no hope. I want us to pray today. We see Jesus. My forecast for our future is not less revival. If we've ever needed revival, it's right now. Everything that can be shaken is being shaken, church. Find the kingdom and live in it because it's the only thing that cannot be shaken. The Gentiles came and said, Sir, we want to see Jesus. And when they went to Jesus, he said, They're hungry for me. The hour has come. That's when he went on to say that except a seed fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. He knew what was coming. He had to die to satisfy the hunger of the Gentiles who were looking for spiritual hope. And I have news for the church today. He did die. And he rose. And he's alive. And because Jesus is alive, there is hope for every single person on this planet. And if the church will not get hungry and come looking for Jesus, the world will. And I'm going to finish with this. Whatever you do, done. Don't make it hard for the Gentiles to find Jesus. Because if they come looking for him, 
we need to be able to take them right to the man. You heard him? Come on, I know a man. You're lost? Come on, I know a man who came looking for the lost to find them again. You're hungry in your heart? Come on, I found the bread of life. You're thirsty on the inside? I found living water. You're lost and you don't know where to go? Come on, I found the door. His name is Jesus. See, this is, we have the answer. I'm not ignoring the world. I'm just telling you my citizenship is not tied to it. I am a citizen of the kingdom of God. And who I found in him is superior to what this world has to offer. Stand with me.